Your scientific illiteracy makes me shudder. And I wouldn't flaunt your ignorance by telling anyone that you saw anything last night other than the planet Venus. Because if you do, you're a dead man. Welcome to Condensed Truth, the Essential X-Files podcast. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm Laura. And today we have our friend Nick on. Welcome, Nick. Hello. No, I'm just so excited to get to do this, first of all, and to do this on this episode. It's a perfect episode for you, and Mm -hmm. it's a great episode. I wasn't kidding when I said I think it's the greatest episode of TV ever made. (laughs) Better than Clyde Bruckman? Okay, Clyde Bruckman's my personal favorite, but yes, I do think... Well, I think this one's more... It's not very typical for an X-Files episode, but it's so inventive in the way that TV does and really excels at. There's also a Clyde Bruckman refer in this episode, too. (laughs) Yes, there is. I was so excited. I just finished watching it from the halfway uh, right before we started watching it. And I was like, this guy. Yappy. Yes. (laughs) The stupendous yappy. Yeah, the stupendous asshole, more like. Exactly. But yeah, I think the idea that uh, it has a lot to do with objectivity this episode. And uh, it's just so Mm -hmm. fun to try and apply that as a viewer to uh, your own relationship with the episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Nick, what is your relationship to the X-Files? I know you've seen all of it, maybe? Yeah, I watched all of it probably when I was about, it was after high school. So it was probably between when I was 18 and 19. But it's one of those shows that was just kind of everywhere, especially when we were growing up. Um, Everybody that my dad worked with, they were all nerds in that sort of classical sense. Like every Wednesday, Mm -hmm. they would take a break uh, for lunch and take an extra long lunch so they could go to the comic book store. Um, (laughs) So this, of course, was kind of just like, if you liked comic books, if you're into science fiction, movies, novels, TV, although it's kind of sparse, you know, the X-Files is the one thing that you could kind of agree upon. And this is even in like the twilight of the show when I first heard about it. This is probably like, I don't know, 2002, 2004. Mm-hmm. That's probably the first time that I had actually started watching it. But even as a kid, you know, I had a lot of babysitters who uh, they they would watch it. You know, it was just kind of in the cultural lexicon. Um, I brought exactly. up in our discord server um an episode of eek the cat something that i watched when i was a kid has these fleeting references the x-files and the simpsons as well you know it's all on fox Mm -hmm. but it was just kind of this show that changed everything uh not just tv but the way that people talk to one another about these concepts like aliens or whatever you know exactly inescapable um but i guess the first time that i watched it it was like in the middle of like this myth arc you know the stuff that ties it to millennium i think that was one of the first episodes that i watched as a new viewer so i was completely lost as a child (laughs) yeah uh but you know when you come back to it as an adult and you start from the very beginning you know, it's uh, it's easy to see how good it was from the beginning and even up through this point, you know, they didn't need to drop an episode like Jose Chung's, but they did. They did that for all of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's this episode is so daring. And what you said about the cultural lexicon is so true. I've, I'm trying to I'm making a playlist of like songs that reference the X-Files. So if, if anyone listening knows one, please send it to me. So far, I just have that. Uh, I have one week, of course. Uh, <laughs> and... What's that other one? The Bloodhound Gang? That like really horny song? 
the bad touch, I believe is what it's called. Yes. Yes. I have that one too. Anyway, so if you have any ideas, but yes, it was everywhere and it left such an impression. Like you could just, <laughs> you watch this, ep- like not this episode, but like you watch the show and you're just like, this is literally every like man, woman, like TV, like network show, like Bones or any of that stuff. <laughs> it's like, this is this. <laughs> this is like the progenitor. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're so far removed from this show, but um, I remember watching a lot of Homeland when it was on. And when y'all mm-hmm. talked about uh, what was the episode, it was about the vet that. Uh, yeah, it was some. Um, that was uh, Howard Gordon and Alex Aganza, right? Because I think they did Homeland. Yeah, they created that show. And when you mentioned mm-hmm. their names instantly, I was like, oh, okay, well, this makes sense. This is where they started their TV screenwriting career from. Yeah. So to end up sleepless is the episode. Yes, that's right. To end up in a place where they're show running and creating a show like Homeland, you know, these themes of sort of like paranoia and distrust of the government, you know, it kind of all starts Mm -hmm. with this. A lot of the writers went on to do other other stuff, which is kind of impressive. I I I jokingly called Chris Carter the Andy Reid of ex uh, of writers because Andy Reid had like his his thing is like he was he's incredible football mind could not win in big moments. Of course, he's won since. But like he, his coaching tree is like impressive. And I think Chris Carter is that too. Like he hasn't really done anything since the X-Files, but his, his like writing tree is impressive. You have like Darren Morgan, uh, Glenn Morgan, uh, Howard Gordon, Alex Ganza, Vince Gilligan, of course, <laughs> and Thomas Schnauz and some other people. And it's just like, damn, this show like really, it really popped off. <laughs> it really did some great talent. Yeah, I know nothing about sports, but a lot about TV. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that I agree with all of that. Like, yeah, all yeah. of Breaking Bad is kind of incubated, as you mentioned, from mm-hmm. this one show. And this is before you even get into, like, the weirder, whimsier stuff that's just inspired by it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. that sh- kids show Eerie, Indiana, it's on when we were kids. Or uh, Gravity Falls, I think, is a great example of just, like, this weird Gravity Falls is, yeah. permutation started by the X-Files. So, yeah, it's everywhere. It still is. It's still completely and that's partially mm-hmm. because it just went off air, what, four years ago? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 2018. <laughs> uh, so, of course, I, I haven't even introduced the episode yet. We were, we were talking <laughs> season three, episode 20, Jose Chunks from Outer Space. Woo! Yes, we made it. Finally. <laughs> this, this episode aired April 12th, 1996. It was written by Darren Morgan and directed by Rob Bowman. And my note about the title is it it was an in-joke from the writers. Um, they made up this writer and John Scheibman vo- voiced him, but he would, they would always call in like prank call and try to ask if anyone read their script they sent in. And the name they gave was Jose Chung. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then when they got this episode, everybody's like, Jose Chung. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because, like, you look at the name Jose Chung on paper because you watch it on the D. I watched it for the first time on the DVD, uh, knowing nothing about it. And I was like, okay, I have this preconceived idea of who Jose Chung is or what he may, like, look like or dress like. And then you turn it on and it's Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. In, like, in such an eccentric manner. Like, he, he seems like a writer, but, like, I assume, I mean, I assume this is his pen name, but it's just like such an interesting pen name to give this guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was, he came up with the idea uh, with like in cold blood, like kind of this idea that like some, someone like Truman Capote and 
They said that Truman Capote wasn't available. I think that was maybe a joke. I don't know if they ever actually asked him or not. No, Truman Capote was dead by the time this aired. That also makes sense. (laughs) Yes. That was my second guess is that he was dead. (laughs) I did not look it up, but I was like, okay. No, I was going to say, I do appreciate if like you're going for Truman Capote. I think it would have been harder to cast anybody more perfect than Charles Nelson Reilly. Right. He does so good Mm -hmm. in this episode. His little like affectations whenever he's talking scully compliments he's like <laughs> yes yeah like, he is such a writer they they said he was he was such a he was so fun he, he was like so fun with the crew and he brought such a great energy and was constantly joking and joking and joking like i think every time we had to look at the script he would go nurse nurse <laughs> <laughs> and i mean he did such a good job that they brought him back for millennium a show that hardly anybody remembers even if you watch the x-files and then they threw him an emmy nom for that one episode of millennium i think largely based on how good he is in jose chunk mm-hmm. i haven't seen millennium but i've sort of been meaning to it's one of i mean i've seen you know the one from the x-files right exactly <laughs> it's one of those shows that i get it into my head like yeah you know it's been a while i want to watch this and i'll make it through like maybe eight episodes and you're like oh okay this is back when tv was making 24 episode seasons so i'm giving up an entire day of my life to watch <laughs> one season of this show yes <laughs> but lance henrickson is great in it he's a joy to watch anything mm-hmm. that he's in. yeah so the plot of this episode is that Mulder and scully go to investigate uh, a ufo or abduction and then Char- uh, jose chung played by charles nelson riley is writing a book about it it's i mean that's essentially what it is <laughs> There's there's like plot, but it's so dense and bizarre that there's no other way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. So we open and it's the sky, which every time there's a shot of the sky, you're you're always thinking it's a mythology episode. I was like, ooh, but, that classic sky shot. Yeah. But it's also episode 20. So it'd be weird to have a mythology episode like this late into the season that isn't the finale. But then, of course, there's like we're looking at the underside of what looks like a UFO, but it's a lift for an uh, electrician looking at the telephone poles. So a nice twist. Lots of misdirection in this episode. And it's so fun. It's so well done. <laughs> yeah, I think even oh, yeah. this shot is meant to like uh, pay homage to the opening shot from A New Hope, mm-hmm. which would have been... Yeah. I think so. Would have been fresh on everybody's mind when this re when this aired for the first time as they were re-releasing mm-hmm. the classic Star Wars in theaters. Yeah, they were releasing and they re released them on VHS around this time too, right? Like I That's remember correct. watching them on VHS around this time with my cousin. So again, just capturing the zeitgeist then and now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so we have these two teens in a car, and the car looks like it's from the fifties. And so, like everything about this opening shot is kind of disorienting <laughs> because it 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 feels. It feels like it's like put on, so to speak. Like, like what is even going on? Like, there's these, there's stop motion animation, like alien tw- teens in like a fifties car, quoting <laughs> like, the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> like literally, what is happening? <laughs> but it starts like a standard abduction story. But then there are two greys are you know trying to abduct the teens. But then there's a third alien who's red, and it just gets so weird. <laughs> And that one alien asks the other, what's happening? And he says, how the hell should I know? Which is a line that is repeated a lot in the episode. It's actually like the last line Mulder says in the episode two. And I really like these bits of dialogue that are repeated because I, I think I feel like it kind of gets a sense of it's, it's trying to remind the viewer that this is a TV show. <laughs> it's sort of like meta. It's like a meta commentary on like 
reminding you it's like breaking the fourth wall it's reminding you that you are watching a tv show when it's like these characters keep repeating lines of how the hell should i know i'm a dead man stuff like that <laughs> then we have the credits and then we're in the basement office i love the basement office <laughs> and we meet jose chung and he's talking to scully and she's very starstruck and it's very cute <laughs> And I think this is kind of the first time where you can begin to uh, question perspective in, in a way that you can understand, right? Like the opening mm -hmm. is kind of just like a mishmash of a bunch of stuff. And even if you catch some of it, you're just like, but what does it mean? Um, yeah. And so when Scully starts talking about Jose Chung in such glowing terms, and she does have that moment that you pointed out, Laura, of just like, oh, thank you. You know, um, <laughs> do we really believe that Scully would be this into a guy like this who kind of mm -hmm. is more? He seems on paper to be more of kind of Mulder's guy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, I get that. But also, Scully does have uh, airport book reading vibes. Oh, yeah. I mean that in the kindest way possible, Scully. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like, I think it's kind of funny to think, like, how much he's sort of like Mulder. And it's like, well, Scully also loves Mulder. So that kind of tracks. <laughs> yeah, She has that true. kind of th that fun, that fun vibe where she sort of likes the weirdos. Yeah, eccentric men. <laughs> yeah she has a type and i love when she said that she loves his books and he says and here i was thinking you're just some brainy beauty now i find out you also have good taste <laughs> it's just a great delivery by him yeah it just seems kind of like every line is so perfectly written like it makes you think that charles nelson Riley just came up with all this on the set <laughs> part of yes, me also yes. wonders how much scully is like purposefully stroking jose chung's ego in this <laughs> in order for him yeah. to write something more positive <laughs> ish not name her diana lesky <laughs> i know but yeah part of me is like how much of this is intentional i would also like to notice or like to shout out that we see scully sit down at Mulder's desk like finally <laughs> like he's not there yes, she's like desk. i'm sitting at this desk. yes <laughs> and and it's it's interesting because she's like fawning over him and then she asks him why he runs the right book and he says money Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like mm, okay as long as you're gonna tell the truth and he's like how could i do that <laughs> yeah this and, is where like some of the truman capote like parallels i think come in <laughs> yeah absolutely um and it's also kind of funny having just watched the ending to see where we end up with from mm -hmm. here just specifically mm -hmm. chunk's perspective on writing this book mm -hmm. and <laughs> but i also like to note that like we're five minutes into the episode and we're already like so meta critiquing like the x-files <laughs> like within the x-files the call is coming from inside the house but like the show's tagline is literally the truth is out there and jose chung is saying what is truth like there is no truth it's subjective the incredible things that it works for the show because by the nature of having Mulder and scully and these different perspectives you get to give the space for for these beliefs to coexist <laughs> because like you can say that like truth is subjective and like there is no truth that it's like foolish to kind of search for it so full-heartedly like Mulder does and also have Mulder's like whole myth art quest also still make sense right yeah like the truth is not this sort of mutually exclusive thing like you can have conflicting perspectives and still have something that makes a little bit of sense I guess in a sort of like Rashomon sort of way mm-hmm mm -hmm. I guess the, and I have a okay go ahead I was just gonna have another quick sidebar like the other tagline on this show is trust no one which I think that this also pretty well illustrates this whole episode yes. okay so I have this quote or this snippet from a, one of the books I read 
And it says, Rob Bowman was equi- uh, ambivalent when he was assigned the script. I love the show. I didn't want to make fun, of- make a-, a show that made fun of my series, <laughs> he said. <laughs> I did feel I had to shepherd that concern through the making of it. Darren is a very good writer, but I didn't want to make fun of my show. <laughs> and Darren says... They think I'm just making fun of the X-Files, Morgan protest. But there's an awful lot of actual, well, I guess you can't call it scientific, but anecdotal evidence of what alien abduction was supposed to be like. <laughs> I just love the idea that Rob Bowen is like, I don't want to make fun of the X-Files. I have a lot of fun making the show. <laughs> I don't want to, like, lampoon it. <laughs> but, but, like, it's incredible how it works. Right. I think it's that kind of contrast between, like, I love the show, I don't want to make fun of it, and I love the show, I need fun of it. And, like, yes, that's how this episode got me. Yeah, and I think there's even a way to view this episode as, like, not making fun of the X-Files so much as it is making fun of uh, the kind of people who might watch it, for example. You know? <laughs> Just Yes. I don't know if making fun is kind of the wrong term here, but, you know, kind of like jabbing them in the ribs and saying, you know, you get it, right? You know, these mm-hmm. kinds of mm-hmm. people. It feels very loving, honestly. Yeah. Like, it's very absurd, but in like a, a, a such a fun way that like you get to you get to just laugh at how weird it is. It feels almost more of a critique of the writer's room than anything else, honestly. <laughs> like, especially with the line later on of like the most disturbing part is that it's written in a screenplay format. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the anecdote about, like, all of these spec scripts being written by a fake pseudonym, Jose Chung. You know, again, the call's coming from yeah. inside the house here. <laughs> but we get the premise of the episode in that Jose Chung is here to get Scully's perspective, at least for the beginning, right? We kind of jump between. So we're, Scully is here to tell us what happened about the teens, Chrissy and Harold, that got uh, abducted or whatever. They they probably got abducted. I think this, I think there is definitely, like, an answer but, like, that's not fun to, like, have an answer of, like, what happened, right? Because, like, the logical thing is the U.S. government is using UFOs to do experimental flights and reconnaissance. And sometimes they abduct people to cover up that fact by perpetuating the myth of aliens. And so Harold and Chrissy were going to be abducted by Air Force pilots with a UFO and then an actual alien showed up. Maybe. I don't know. The third alien is kind of like the confusing part. But they got hypnotized by the U.S. government to put this like false abduction story in their mind. Like that is that's at least my reading of the episode of like the actual plot. But like, that's not fun. (laughs) Well, sure. And I think there are plenty of episodes of the X-Files where it's like we are given the fact and then in the very last second, the rug is kind of pulled on from underneath us. Yes. And we don't get an answer about who's who or what is doing the pulling, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think this idea of, like, the third alien that you've mentioned, I think it's just, like, integral to the understanding of the whole episode. Because your perspective, in a lot of ways, hinges on what you believe as the viewer is the explanation. Mm-hmm. So we have um, Chrissy was found, and they believe that she had been uh, date-raped. And so then the other, the guy, Harold, shows up at her window and there's a nice, um, like fake out where she sees an alien at the foot of her bed, but then she turns on the light and it's just her stuffed animal. (laughs) And, and the premise, like Scully introduced this clip of, she says her visitation. So you think it's the alien, but then it's Harold. And so it's that again, misdirection of like, what is happening? But then the cops go to pick up Harold and he says that they were abducted. And I really like. So the directing in this episode, I think, really makes it work, right? The script is great, but 
Like, if you read the script, I'm sure you would be like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, I can't follow this at all. And so uh, Rob Bowman said that he, he read the script 15 times, <laughs> and then he had an eight-hour session with Darren, and he, like, storyboarded and everything. And, like, it really paid off because, like, so much of his direction really orients the audience at all times to make this, like, an understandable story. <laughs> yeah. I think the storyboarding was definitely in this. Like, how else would you figure this out? Yeah, so you have Harold being interviewed by the cop, Detective Manners, and by Mulder, and the structure, like, the, the way this scene is set up is practically identical. But the only difference is that Harold is telling each of them the opposite of what they want to hear. He's telling the detective that they were abducted, and then he tells Mulder that he must have raped her. And so, like, again... <laughs> being able to like the parallelism kind of like orients you as like these are these are similar but different but but they're like connected in your mind because they are like shot the same right yeah and it feels really close to like what you want to believe is the objective truth but it's just like inches away from it in both scenarios mm -hmm. and that weird little gray area you know i guess that's where the truth actually lives <laughs> yeah yeah totally and the um the detective detective manners is named after Kim Manners the director uh, who is known for cursing a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted to have they wanted to have Kim Manners play him, but according to Darren, he he said he was tired. But Darren said, I think the problem is we let him read the script and he got nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Cute. funny. I thought, I thought that Detective Manners was just a cute little play on the bleeping, you know. <laughs> it's not it's not very polite to be swearing all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's uh, man, uh it's Kim Manners. And also like the bleeding makes it so much funnier than if he it actually does. cursed, right? Yeah. <laughs> it makes it really funny. And I like that Scully is the one that is filtering his bleep too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Just giving him a little bit more dignity than he probably deserves. That's Dana Scully. <laughs> exactly. And so Mulder is like, okay, well, her story doesn't Chrissy's story doesn't match Harold, so let's bring Chrissy in. Um, okay, let's go. <laughs> and then, of course, Mulder asks her if she's having a bunch of symptoms like not being able to sleep, headaches, nosebleeds, et cetera, et cetera, vision problems. And and she says yes. And he's like, okay, I think you have post-subduction syndrome. And Scully's just like full body like sigh. <laughs> Just incredible physicality by Jillian in this episode so good. to just exude Her, how irritated she is. The way she just like leans against the wall in the background and a lot of the like so sassy. Yes, yes. And so Mulder wants to have Chrissy uh, hypnotized and Jose Chung and Scully have a little bit of a conversation about hypnosis and he's a very nice like, you know, as someone who writes the idea that our minds can be transformed by the power of words is very magical to me. <laughs> it's like, that is very cool, but like, that's very writery. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. This is the moment where I was just like, man, this guy gets it. I, I wrote this down <laughs> in the notes. I couldn't help it. You know, my notes are six pages long, but I took a full eight lines to write it down. How a person's sense of consciousness could be so transformed by nothing more magicing than words. I, exactly. I put in my notes, this is the point of the whole episode of the book that he eventually writes the multiple perspectives just all of it i think comes down to this idea mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and he he mentions the cia's mk ultra experiments and about how they did, they were doing it and they were like i don't know how hypnosis works let's just go 
Let's figure it out while we go. Very CIA. Oh, yeah. That's right. So we have the hypnotist scene, and the hypnotist is played by Alex uh, Dykin. Uh, and Darren said he was his favorite actor, and he's in everything he writes, which he is in a lot of stuff. He says he has a unique voice and face and, quote, always knows his lines. <laughs> <laughs> Great qualities in an actor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then again, like, similar to what I said earlier, like, the scene construction of the hypnotist, like, her being hypnotized in the detectives uh, in the police station and her being hypnotized by the aliens, exact same construction. She looks over and she sees Harold on a table and then we're, we cut back to the police station and there's just a donuts, donuts on a table. So many of these shots anchor us between uh, perspectives and timelines and, you know, like kind of kicks us from one to another. And it's also just kind of a funny gag too, not to mention like <laughs> yeah. the lifting that it does in the episode. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we get for the first time, like Chrissy probably views the bag of donuts and Harold with the same amount of regard <laughs> as we'll come to find yes. out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then she starts saying that she was also abducted and Scully's just like, oh my God, <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> Mulder's like, yes. This is what happened. She's she's telling the truth right here because this is what I want to hear. I guess Mulder, he's like, yes, this is true. I'm not going to I'm going to ignore all the other facts because this is what I want to hear. And then Scully's point, very well taken. It it sounds a little too rote. It sounds like every other abduction story. Anybody could come up with an abduction story because it's so mainstream and everybody knows what they're supposed to sound like. <laughs> and so it isn't surprising that she told you what you want to hear, Mulder. Yeah, I even like how in her, like, abduction, like, hypnosis state, like, they have, like, really classic, like, abduction outfits on, like, these, like, yes. sci-fi alien abduction outfits instead of just, like, the clothes that they're already wearing or, you know. <laughs> Detective Manor saying, well, thanks a lot. Those kids' stories couldn't be more bleeping different. <laughs> it's Scully's just full-on facepalm. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have... Harold's version of the abduction, which is different from hers, which is, it's, you know, of course, like, what is truth, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and his, his recounting is that they were in cages and there was a gray there who was smoking a cigarette. And, <laughs> and Harold tells Chrissy, I'm here to protect you and I'll never <laughs> let anything happen to you. Followed, following by him cowering in the corner as she gets yanked out of the cage. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. It was like, oh, this classic teenage boy being like, I'm going to protect you. It's okay. Yes. And then the cage opens and she gets taken and he's literally like crying in the corner. <laughs> How did that go, buddy? Not not great. And, and and this is not stereotypical of an encounter. So it's like he he isn't just following the, the cult, like the zeitgeist. Like he's not saying what he's heard in pop culture. He's making up something incredibly weird. And, and I do love Mulder. Mulder even has these expectations of what he thinks the alien abduction is. So when he says, like, the Grey's talking, he's like, tele telepathically. He's like, no, in English. <laughs> <laughs> and he's saying, this is not happening. Again, something that gets repeated throughout this episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mulder is completely vibe. He's, he's buying everything this guy's saying, essentially. And Scully's, like, pacing and suddenly stops him and just says, like, did you and Chrissy have sex? And he's like, consensual sex. Consensual sexual intercourse <laughs> is what she said. Yes. And he said, if her dad founds out, he's going to kill me. Yeah. Or I'm a dead man. Again, another repeated phrase. 
Right. Which I think is an interesting thing tying into the whole earlier when he's like, well, I guess I date raped her if everyone's saying I did. Because, like, they did have consensual sex and, like, you know, then they, yeah. It, like, kind of mm-hmm. complicates that whole aspect of two, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, like, with when Jose Chung says, like, truth is subjective, that's, like, I mean, I, I buy that to a certain degree, but right. also people can just lie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. You also have to sort what the truth is. And, and this yeah. the fact that he's lying about them having sex complicates that nature because it's like you have to buy in that these people are being truthful with you to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. And if he's going to lie about something of, you know, that magnitude, what's to say that right. he's going to tell the truth about an alien abduction? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I listened to the the DVD commentary and Rob Bowman, he talked about when he was like, you know, doing the episode, he, he very much wanted Mulder and Scully to be serious. He wanted them to ground the audience in the episode. Um, he didn't want them to be funny. He wanted them to investigate this like a genuine case coming at genuinely. And I think it really helps the episode. Everybody else gets to be funny and Mulder and Scully, they only need to be funny in Blaine's perspective. <laughs> but I think it it really helped. And then in the next scene where Mulder and Scully are arguing about this and and Mulder's like, well, what does it matter if they had sex? And she says, so we know it wasn't an alien that probed her. Jail, ma'am. Jail. <laughs> <laughs> and then in this, you know, they're doing their fun bl- banter about like the case and everything. And Detective Manners says there's an eyewitness. Um, <laughs> what, what do you say? Like, I can't remember what it was, but I remember he said, do you want to talk to this blank hole? <laughs> yeah, he said this bleeping blank hole. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and this is like right when we get the act break too, right? And when when we come back, we're not really sure whose perspective we're coming back to, right? Like we've established mm-hmm. that we can shift back and forth. We've got Jose and we've got Scully. We've got Chrissy mm-hmm. and we've got Howard. And then we hear this kind of goofy music when we come back from commercial. And then we're not really sure whose perspective it is until we get that line about this bleeping blank hole. And they're like, okay, <laughs> we're back in Scully land. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So they go to interview the guy who was fixing the power, who was on the lift, Rocky Crickinson. Yes, the one of these that I caught, who is a reference to Rocky <laughs> Erickson, a famous musician from Austin, Texas, has a lot of... Mm-hmm. A lot of his song titles sound like they could be X-Files, um, like <laughs> I Walked with a Zombie, pretty good one. <laughs> that is good. He was one of those dudes, uh, there's like a whole generation of dudes who like took too much acid and like kind of, you know... It really did not help their mental health. Absolutely. And and he was absolutely targeted by the police. Like, Mm -hmm. they knew he liked drugs, so they would pull him over and be like, found a joint. Because, like, of course they found a joint. He likes drugs. Yeah, he had an album later in his career that was just titled Don't Slander Me for that exact reason, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I leased him to his Wikipedia page, and it was was really sad, but yeah. And he also did move to California, and he had a a church of some sort. He, he He had, like, the same thing Rocky did, where he believed... In some sort of, he believed he was abducted. I believe. Yeah, I mean, you go to any record store in the state of Texas, and that cult is still alive and well. You know, you uh, mm. you can't run a record store in Texas without stocking thirteenth floor elevators or rockier. Mm-hmm. And so Mulder's going to go to talk to Rocky, and he he's very serious in a in a very goofy way. He's like, "This will put your lives in danger." And they're like, "Okay, sure, whatever." <laughs> and what I really like about this is there's a shot of Rocky and to kind of tell you, like subcon- subconsciously tell you which way you're going, when they go back in time to like the event, it whip pans to the left 
And then when it comes back, it whips pan to the right. So it's like forward and backward in time or backward and forward in time. And he says, last night, the weirdest thing happened to me. <laughs> and his garage door opens and a black car quickly pulls into the garage. And they 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 sped up the film to make it look fast. And Rob, uh, Rob, Rob said it looked cheap. And Darren was like, no, I love it. <laughs> And I love it too. I also like how at the end of this encounter, they just reverse the film too. <laughs> yes, like, I love it. Yeah, that's it's the, so one of the best best part. It's like a classic like fifties B movie effect that's just so perfect for this episode. Exactly. Even the, the car is like old. Yeah, it's like an old Cadillac looking car. Yeah, that's before we even get to the costuming of who's inside. It looks like it could have come <laughs> straight off of Plan Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> this is. This is probably my favorite scene in this episode. It is so incredibly funny. Because <laughs> the window rolls down, also sped up. <laughs> and it's Jesse the Body Ventura, <laughs> the wrestler. Not to be confused with Jesse the Mind Ventura, the governor, who would become several <laughs> years later. I think he was like one of the first U.S. Uh, elected officials to go visit Cuba in like a official capacity when he was governor there's the mind at work <laughs> before we talk about the scene i just want to like preface it with in the dvd commentary darren asked rob because it was darren and rob and he said did you ever see jay jesse's infamous playboy interview which david company also had an infamous playboy interview so i think the secret to surviving the 90s is to not be interviewed by playboy <laughs> And Rob says no, and he said, <laughs> he said he admitted he didn't know what any of these slides meant. <laughs> and then Darren started laughing. <laughs> so I just love his full-throated like reading of these lines, and just like no, nothing. I don't know what any of this means. acting. Yeah, I love it because it's just it's like it's cut from a wrestling promo. Like if he had it's just so done good. this. Before he got in the ring with like Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, it would have the same effect, which is I'm terrified of Jesse Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the first thing he says is no other object has been misidentified as a flying saucer more often than the planet Venus. <laughs> and Rocky's like, really? And he's like, <laughs> and, and, and Jesse's line that just cracks me up every time is, even the former leader of your United States of America, James Earl Carter Jr., thought he saw a UFO once. But it's been proven he only saw the planet Venus. <laughs> once saw a UFO and it was later identified as Venus. But like, just your United your, your president. Your. Your. Not mine. Your. Your. Jimmy Carter. <laughs> a turn of phrase that nobody has used before or since. <laughs> and and then his his whole thing he's talking and his whole like they deal there is just to completely invalidate and ridicule Rocky for ever thinking that he saw a UFO, that he ever saw any alien. <laughs> and trying to like, you know, say like your scientific illiteracy is disgusting. <laughs> it's so funny. No, I do like how Rocky tries to push back on it a little bit by saying, like, I'm a Republican. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah, like the scene is just so incredibly funny. Every line is just chef's kissed. And he wrote it specifically for Jesse because at the time, uh, Jesse was Darren's favorite wrestler. 
So he got everybody that he wanted to work with except for Kim Mannering. <laughs> well, his his first, we'll get to it eventually, but there's a second Man in Black, and he he wanted uh he wanted Johnny Cash to play him because he is the Man in Black, right? But he well, wasn't available. <laughs> I think I think the second choice was the better choice. The second choice is but... great too. <laughs> I agree. Like it's a fun little pun, but the it's other one is a great job. Part. Mm-hmm. And so, like this incredible line, of, you know, just like. <laughs> he also has this incredible speech about how like scientists have yet to figure out how we process like 3D images like <laughs> you don't even understand how you can perceive what you're perceiving and yet you so brazenly declare that seeing is believing <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's an incredible it's like absolutely the funniest scene in this episode <laughs> I could just quote it endlessly it's so incredible but then we uh, get back to Mulder and Scully interviewing Rocky and I it, they did this earlier with the Herald scene but I love when the camera's on Rocky in the scene with the two men in black and it doesn't cut it's still on him and then we're in the scene with Mulder and Scully I really love that as like a directing bit well, yeah because we're getting like so many nested perspectives and so many mm-hmm. jumps it's kind of hard to make sense of it all without these tricks that he exactly it. So Rocky gives Mulder and Scully the screenplay <laughs> and they leave. So Mulder is reading Rocky's screenplay to Scully and she is just very pissed. <laughs> and it's like, it's so weird. It's like in this very old English style where he says like the and stuff. Yeah, right. And we get kind of um, why the alien spoke in that biblical language in the cold open for the first time, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's so weird. It's like... Like, what is going on here? <laughs> so he's reading it. And we're kind of cutting between Rocky and, and Mulder reading it, which is fun. And he sees the the big alien named Lord Kimboat <laughs> fighting the greys. And, and he says that, Rocky, you have to help all earthlings. <laughs> Be not afraid. <laughs> and he says that they have to go into inner space. <laughs> to the molten core. And, and Scully's just like, Oh my god. <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's like if you take um the man in black played by Jesse Ventura as like a real thing that happened. For the sake of argument, let's just say, um, that he's real and he's kind of like coming to Rocky as this threatening figure. So in Rocky's manifesto, his way of correcting that is by cre- <laughs> creating the malevolent Lord Kinboat who <laughs> Much like the interview process tells the listener everything that they want to hear. It's an interesting sort of trick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I think we would be remiss, probably blacklisted also, but remiss if we didn't mention that this is kind of where we start seeing the L. Ron Hubbard analogs. um, Oh, yeah. Those of you who don't know, L. Ron Hubbard wrote like pulp westerns and pulp sci-fi before he got into Dianetics. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like a one-to-one journey mirrored here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And Scully's talking to Jose Chung, and 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 <laughs> she says something about you know reading their manifesto, and and he says you're so nu- you're so kind, Scully. He, you could just say he's a nut. <laughs> Rocky sent him uh, his manifesto, and he of course said like, I don't know what was most disturbing, his description of the inner core reincarnated souls, sex orgy, or the fact that the whole thing is written in. Screenplay format. <laughs> Perfect. And and then I love the line 
where Sc- where Jose Chung says, surely your partner didn't believe any of it. And Scully says, well, Mulder's had his share of peculiar notions. He's not inclined to dismiss anything outright. <laughs> Cut to Scully saying, Mulder, you're nuts. <laughs> I just I love that detail because like I mean it's really funny but I think it's also really reflective of how like protective Scully gets about Mulder she's allowed to call him a nut but if you call him a nut she will fight you (laughs) right yeah we don't get like an unveiled perspective of the two of them interacting for this whole episode so it is nice to kind of like see their actual relationship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so Mulder says like well you know Rocky as nu- as crazy as this sounds, Rocky does reinforce Harold's, his story, right? Mm-hmm. The only st- weird story is Chrissy's. Right. Because Harold and Rocky both say that there were the two aliens and then the third one, et cetera, et cetera. And so Mulder's like, I'm going to have her rehypnotized. <laughs> <laughs> and Scully's like, oh, come on. <laughs> She's so over it. And so we have her rehypnotized, exact same setup with the five people kind of in a... a v-shape her parents and then manners Mulder and scully in the other corner and then the hypnotist in the middle but then she tells harold's version and scully is like like i suspected her to do (laughs) (laughs) like she was like yeah they just they just court they just you know got on the same page (laughs) and it's weird because nobody at this point seems to realize like the kind of point of hypnosis is almost to put somebody under your Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm which again like I I believe Jose Chung said that earlier, like, that it's not helpful. It actually leads to more confusion because the hypnotist gets to lead you and because memories are so subjective and weird. And, and like, the X-Files has scenes where, like, Mulder, like, the whole basis of Mulder's remembering how his sister was abducted was found from hypnosis, right? (laughs) So it's kind of funny in that sense of, like, this being a critique of the show is, like, there are points of the backbone of the show that rely on ideas that get criticized in Jose Chung's. <laughs> and she says she was dropped off, which is what Harold said. But she kind of went a bit further from Harold. And she said that men in Air Force uniforms got her and hypnotized her so that she told her previous story. And again, we have the scene where she's hypnotized in the police station, the scene where she's hypnotized by these aliens, and the scene where she's hypnotized by the Air Force people all look exactly the same setup wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's it sort of adds confusion. Like, are these different events or is she just changing what is happening constantly? Right. Like we're I think we're supposed to believe that the the alien and the Air Force one are her confabulation. She's she was miss she was hypnotized to remember the alien one instead of the Air Force one. But even like the Air Force one looking exactly like the police one, it's like, well, what if that's true of that too? What if the police one made her think that this one happened when it really didn't? You know, again, it's just playing with this idea of like, we you can find a narrative, but also like, it's still subjective. It's still whatever you want it to, what, like, do I believe that narrative because it's what I want to believe? Much like Mulder believing the kid's being abducted because it's what he wants to believe. <clears throat> And so, but this is, but this is the first point where we think we get the idea that like the government has an involvement in this. <laughs> and then of course, Detective Manor comes in and he says, uh, or like they're talking about it afterwards and Detective Manor comes in and he, he says to Mulder and Scully, Hey, I just got a call from some crazy blankety blank claiming he found a real live dead alien body. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line personally. 
a real live dead alien body. <laughs> yep. Yep. Again, you know, contradictions, even in just the smallest detail. This episode. Exactly. Exactly. And then we have uh, Jose Chung talking to Blaine Faulkner. And of course, his story starts with the often repeated phrase of, I know it, how crazy this is going to sound, said by Jose Chung and by Rocky and now Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> I love Blaine. He's so he's just like that, that nerd he's slacker. So he, he's like he's like quite literally a neat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he tells Jose Chung that he wants to be abducted because he doesn't want to have to worry about getting a job. <laughs> I mean, God, who, I feel that. <laughs> right. Like, who doesn't? Yeah, in a lot of ways, I'm still waiting for the mothership to come back around on me for that exact right, reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Who wants to find a job and work? Like, no. <laughs> and he's wearing a Space Above and Beyond shirt, which is a show. Darren Morgan's brother Glenn created and wrote for, and it only lasted a season. But it was a nice touch. It was very sweet of him. I would also like to point out he has the same I want to believe poster, but the mm -hmm. I want to was crossed out, and it just says believe. Yeah, I think it says I believe, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that detail, too. <laughs> and also the fact that his bed is on the floor, no mm -hmm. bed spring. Mm -hmm. His curtains are sheets that he pinned up, which yep. I've done that before. <laughs> Just impeccable set dressing here. <laughs> so good. They really captured the, the vibe, you know, this yes. type of person. You can see this room being posted on Twitter and be like, men think they should live like this. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're talking about Blaine. <laughs> Sad boy house. <laughs> uh, so we get Blaine's perspective now. And I really like s that Scully's the main perspective, but we get these little bits and pieces of other people's perspective. Uh, one, because it adds this complexity to, like, the narrative that we're doing because, like, Scully very much has a different idea of what happened than Blaine. And so it's just, like, funny, but also just, like, adding that level of, like, truth is subjective, you know? And so Blaine was out in a field looking for UFOs, but instead finds a dead body. <laughs> and, and it looks like an alien. And he he's he's telling, we're seeing what happened, but he's telling this afterwards to Jose Chung. And he's lamenting the the fact that he told he called the proper authorities. He he says, "I read all these books about aliens and UFOs, and yet I foolishly thought that I should call the cops and that it would be sorted." <laughs> <laughs> so then the cops and Mulder and Scully show up, and he thinks that they're men in black, and he or he thinks they're mandroids or something. I don't know what Blaine thinks. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know if Blaine knows what he thinks. Right. But it does lead to a fun meta commentary on Mulder and Scully with <laughs> Scully's hair being red, but a little too red because uh, Jillian Anderson dyed her hair red for the show. And then <laughs> him describing Mulder as faces being so blank and, in and expressionless. I think he was a man drawing. <laughs> <laughs> because David Duchovny just has that dry wit and very, you know, Blank and expressionless face sometimes, <laughs> honestly. It also just seems like the kind of criticism that you could have seen on like Usenet TV back in the day. <laughs> yes, yes, alt.tv.x files. <laughs> and then, of course, like the David Duchovny fangirls would spam you relentlessly after you said that. If you dare to say that David Duchovny was not putting his full weight into this episode, <laughs> not this one, but like sometimes I'm like, you're really phoning it in, which. I guess if you make 24 episodes a season, sometimes you just gotta, but 
Jillian seems to very effortlessly always put in her best <laughs> work. So I don't know about that. And then, of course, there's just the very famous joke from Futurama um, where like that robot is like the greatest TV's greatest acting robot, David Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> they could say that because they were on Fox. Right. <laughs> and he says the only time he showed any emotion is when he saw the body and the yell. The very iconic yell. David Duchovny's <laughs> best acting. I will he obviously it. clip it here. The only time he reacted was when he saw the dead body. Woo! So yeah, this is the perfect place to clip the yell. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so the, and then he says Scully threatened him <laughs> and said that if you tell anyone about what happened, you're a dead man. <laughs> and then we jump back to Scully and she's like, he said I did what? <laughs> <laughs> She's like so annoyed. She's so pissed off. Yes. And she's like, we even let him do the autopsy. Like, why is he spreading lies about me? She's like, we were so nice to this nerd. (laughs) Yeah, I really do. You know, I was kind of um, critical of Chung at the very beginning of this episode because I kind of felt like, oh, you know, is this just Chung giving his take on things? But in this scene, I'm really glad that Chung is there to have, you know, someone for Scully to vent to. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so then we have uh, Scully's perspective continuing where she's performing the autopsy and Blaine busts in with this giant ass camera. <laughs> that is a regular sized handheld camcorder at that time, Shelby. <laughs> and he's yelling like, Roswell, Roswell. And Mulder being the sucker that he is says, yeah, you can stay. It's fine. <laughs> I love that. Like, every it, time, I don't care. Every time Blaine is apprehended, he just yells Roswell. Like, Roswell, Roswell. <laughs> You can't cover it up. (laughs) He's a big fan of that TV show. Yeah, Yeah. you can bet that if I ever get arrested, that's what I'm going to yell (laughs) on my way to the cop car. Yes, yes. And and then like this is this is a really fun like it's a lot of quick switching perspectives, you know, where it's Scully's, and then (laughs) we cut to Blaine's shit camera work because we're we're watching the film of like what he put together, and there's you know this kind of like I don't think it's the theme, but it very much sounds like the theme, the music going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put it might be note- the theme actually. I put in my notes that it is like if it's not the theme, then it's aping it purposefully for a dramatic mm-hmm. effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we have this, and then we have the voiceover by the stupendous Yaffe, and <laughs> and then I love the truth or humbug sticker because humbug is another episode Darren wrote. <laughs> and this is a fun little bit playing with their perspectives too, because you know we have that camcorder right, you know. That's clearly Blaine's perspective. And then nested mm-hmm. within that, you know, Scully is actually performing the autopsy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. framing all of that is the stupendous Yappy and his sort of, you know, <laughs> Jonathan Frakes, beyond belief sort of framing yes. of it all. Yes. Yet, like, yet another reference to the fact that Fox aired that uh, supposed alien autopsy, <laughs> which they referenced in... Um, 731 Nisei. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're getting this again. <laughs> but it's also just kind of interesting because just like, you know, we have Scully's reaction to the stupendous Yappy episode. Um, we're kind of being invited as a viewer to form our own perspective on Jose Chung's from outer space, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Scully's doing the autopsy and she's like, it's a human. There's a zipper and they can just take the head off. and. It's a dead Air Force pilot, and um, the Air Force shows up, and <laughs> Mulder does some great finagling to get the name of the other pilot, because they're like, 
you have one of our pilots. And he's like, yeah. And they're like, can we see him? And he's like, no, but you can talk to the other one. Mm-hmm. And they just give him the name. And I know. Like, that Great. was so funny. They're like, oh, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, no. He must have just walked away. Yeah. They're like, Lieutenant Jack Schaefer. And he's like, oh, he was just there. I swear to God. <laughs> I wouldn't lie to the government. <laughs> but then the first body's missing. I don't know if we ever find out who took the body. You know? Like, who took that body? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's kind of implied later on, but at this exact moment, it does feel like uh, Mulder's pulling one over on the Air Force, and then somebody immediately pulls one back over on Mulder. Yes. Yeah, that must have happened because the Air Force got the body back, but it mm-hmm. was like, what the hell's happening? And so Bl- Blaine is watching the autopsy when he hears a knock, and he goes to open the door, and they bust in, and it's the men in black again. And we still don't see the second one, but we see Blaine has a positive reaction to the second one, which might be our first clue that it's an interesting person. <laughs> I like how we're still keeping it a secret. Yes. Yeah, spoilers it's- for a 25-year-old episode of television. Incoming. <laughs> yes. And he, like, rips the, the VHS out of the... <laughs> like, he, like, rips the VCR of it <laughs> get to the VHS <laughs> and then he like does like a backbreaker on Blaine <laughs> while he's yelling Roswell <laughs> and then so he, he gets knocked out and then we see him kind of come to because Mulder's there and he's slapping him in the face <laughs> and I don't like this is presumably Jose Chung telling Scully this, and she does not interject and be like, Mulder wouldn't do that. I know. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. yeah, I think it's because she already realizes what Blaine thinks of her. So to think that Mulder <laughs> is this guy who just shrieks and slaps people in the face all the time, like, that lines yeah, up whatever. to him. Yeah, yeah. And, and he says, like, if you tell anyone, you're a dead man. He's, you know, we have Blaine talking to Jose Chung, and Blaine has the great line of, I didn't spend all those years playing D&D and not learn a thing or two about courage. <laughs> <laughs> and Jose Chung just be like, ha. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because I think Jose was like, why are you telling me this if he told you that you were a dead man? He's like, I got to be brave. Yeah. I got to speak truth to power. I mean, that's certainly braver than Rocky was in the face of his showdown with mm-hmm. uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said about that. Like, also, uh, we could look this up pretty easily, but, like, that's a big man. That's a big man. If somebody that size was coming at me, ripping things out of my <laughs> VHS player, um, I, would yeah. be, I, I would be saying more things than just Roswell, Roswell. <laughs> Sorry, whatever I did. I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> He's like 6'4". 6'4"? Four. Four? Mm-hmm. Oh, That's pretty okay. tall. That's pretty big. Yeah. That's pretty big. It's also, he's got a lot of meat on them bones, too. Right. You know? Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. have like what his weight was when this episode aired, right? But like, big, big. dude. <laughs> Scully is recounting Mulder's version because like she's not, she wouldn't have memory of this. She is simply recounting what Mulder told her happened because he's driving back. And she, he sees Jack Schaefer naked, which the censors were very irritated. He was like, you know, they're just the illusion of him being nude. But they, you could tell, like, there's a big, <laughs> like, line that is supposed to be his head, his headlight, but it's like huge. Like, it's like that's not how headlights reflect. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's supposed to cover up the even hint of a butt. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even have the hint of a buttock. <laughs> yeah, and when he talks to him. 
Jack Schaefer continues to shout, this is not happening, <laughs> uh, like he was with Harold's story. Mm-hmm. Which, like, we find out in this next scene with the diner that, like, this is kind of Jack Schaefer's ethos. <laughs> is that, like, he doesn't know what's the truth and he's sort of given up on trying to find out what it is. Yeah, he's just going to pull a smoke and uh, repeat that. Yep, yep. And so they go to this diner, and I found out that it is still active. It's called the Ovaltine Cafe, and it's in Vancouver, and I want to go visit it very badly now. <laughs> it yeah. looks the same to me. <laughs> let's go Let's go eat pie there. Yes, yep. let's eat a whole sweet potato pie. <laughs> with no... Okay, I must point out, Mulder <laughs> ate that entire pie without any whipped cream. Like, what a sick fuck. Like, how? Weirdo, weirdo. And so Mulder and Jack Schaefer are at the diner. And he's talking and he's kind of not really even a straight answer to Mulder or, you know, just kind of adding, you know, information to it. And but he is. the. It's interesting that like this, this whole conversation is told secondhand. What it to me, at least my reading of the episode, it is the backbone of like what I think happened. Right. But it's not even like a firsthand account. It's Mulder telling Scully and then also like being refuted by the diner owner who said that Mulder did not talk to anybody else. He just ate an entire pie. (laughs) And so, like, it is funny that, like, the thing that makes the most sense of the episode is also the one with, like, the least amount of, like, verifiable evidence towards Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. There's also a really good Close Encounters of the Third Kind reference in this scene with the mashed potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. (laughs) And and this is, I mentioned it kind of earlier. This is where Jack Schaefer, you know, says, like, they're flying UFOs to for cover, so no one shoots at an alien. They shoot at the they shoot at the U.S. But they're not going to shoot at an alien. And he's also while he's talking, he's going to light a cigarette and he uses a match. And I just want to say it was like incredible that he like let the match almost burn to his fingers before he lit it and like put it out. Because like I get nervous around fire. I'm like, no, I it would not be able to get that close to my finger before I was like. But he was so cool, calm, and collected while he's lighting his cigarette. <laughs> He has no regards for his personal safety at this point, Joey. He really doesn't. No, he doesn't. You're right. But like, that's that's not even personal safety. That's just I get anxious around Right. <laughs> but but he, he says like this whole thing about how like he's seen people completely convinced that something happened that didn't happen as far as he knows. And so like Mulder's like, well, you know, well, what happened then? He's like, no, you're not following me. Like, I'm saying I'm absolutely positive this happened. But I've also seen people absolutely positive they've, that something's happened when I know for a fact it didn't happen. <laughs> and so he's just like, I don't even know what to believe. Are we even having this conversation? Am I even a real person? <laughs> and I love how Mulder reassures him. He's just like, I assure you that I am real. <laughs> it's like, you aren't even real, Mulder. You're a fictional character. <laughs> Yeah, this guy playing Jack Schaefer is doing the most, like, for this character, uh, mm-hmm. like, almost burning himself just to commit to the bit. And the company's yeah. just like, I am real, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets, the the Air Force shows up and takes him, and he says, I'm a dead man. But, like, uh, uh, he's, like, actually a dead man. <laughs> Everybody else said it, but, like, he actually did die. Yeah. And so we get this whole story and we're like, okay, like, finally, the story makes sense. Like, I know what happened. And then it's immediately refuted by Jose Chung. And he says, I became friends with that owner. And he said that the only person he saw that night was Moeller. He came in, ordered a piece of pie, asked exactly one question, ate the piece of pie, ordered another pie. 
And so we just have this hilarious collection of David Duchovny eating a sweet potato pie piece by piece, asking like, have you ever been Weird abducted? Questions. <laughs> yeah. With no whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I want to say, in Mulder's defense, if you were threatened by the men in black, like this diner owner might have been, this is probably mm-hmm. exactly the story you would come up with. Yeah. Because who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe this nice, reputable man? Are you going to believe Spooky over there? Didn't even leave a tip for an entire pie. (laughs) He's a notorious, it's like canon that he's a bad tipper. So that's that's his his flaw as a human, that he's a bad tipper. I can fix him, though. (laughs) (laughs) And so Jose Chung tells Scully, and and he's like, you're not nonplussed about this whole thing. And she's like, oh, well, yeah. The rest of the evening kind of went weird. <laughs> She's just like, eh, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that like Chung, uh, again, he's just like inserting himself into other people's story this entire time. And mm-hmm. now he's just like so perturbed that Scully does not immediately take his side over Mulder's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. We have Mulder return to the hotel. And he finds Scully's door ajar, and the men in black are there. And he gets really, you know, angry. He's got his gun. He's like, where's Scully? And Jesse's just like, she went to get ice. (laughs) It was more like, uh, she went to get ice? (laughs) Do people still get ice at hotels? I remember that just, like, very, very vividly. Like, every time we went to a hotel, we got ice, you know? I know. You gotta go get ice from the ice machine for some reason. Yeah. And I'm like... I'm sure the ice machine still exists, but that seems like a weird idea to me, you know, like going to get ice. Maybe that's just because I haven't stayed in a hotel in forever, you know? It's also like, I don't know, I'm, I don't, I'm not really a fan of drinking hotel tap water, I guess. <laughs> yeah, what, what was the ice for ever? Like, I don't know. You just come up with a reason, you know? <laughs> you just, you knew you needed ice. <laughs> you need to chill your drinks, right? Yeah, I yes. think it was a lot more common back then when you didn't have a mini fridge in your, everywhere you stayed. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Many fridges in the hotel rooms were like real luxuries at that point. Ah, uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. And so we get Jesse Ventura telling Mulder, you know, this this like uh, confusing, like this like layered idea that like some encounters, some alien encounters are hoaxes who discredit, discredit believers, Um, you know, just like this n- weird nested idea that like. Are the alien encounters hoaxes to begin with, or are some of them hoaxes to discount the idea that there are aliens? Like, are there real alien encounters? Like, just this huge rabbit hole you could fall down. <laughs> and then Mulder being like, I mean, the same as set of men in black, that y'all act weird to discredit anyone who tries to tell anybody what happened. Because <laughs> you're just like, yeah, Jesse Ventura and Alex Trebek came by to tell me to stop talking about aliens. <laughs> and you'd be like, Let's get you to bed. <laughs> and then Jesse says, I don't know why anyone would call you crazy if you describe this meeting. And then we finally see that the second man in black is Alex Trebek. Woo! I love Alex Trebek. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. to Alex Trebek. A fellow Canadian was... for Duchovny to rip off of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what's interesting is that Alex Trebek says, you are feeling sleepy, very relaxed, which is like the exact same thing they said to hypnotize people. So like, Mm -hmm. did Ali Sherbeck hypnotize Mulder? Yes. (laughs) Or did he hypnotize Scully because Scully didn't remember? That's that's a good point. At all. Just so 
a group a group hypnosis. Yeah, just a, <laughs> a fun group hip- hypnosis session led by Alex Trebek. <laughs> yes, yes. And then we have the great like after Scully tells Jose Chuck this, <laughs> he just goes, Alex Trebek, the game show host. <laughs> it's just a great, great reading. Mm-hmm. And then and then she's like, well, he didn't say it was Alex Trebek. He said that he looked like Alex Trebek. <laughs> <laughs> and then Habeen like, well, Danny, he's like, well, okay, the thing is, I don't, I did not do any of this. <laughs> I also like how this joke of like, well, it looked like Alex Trebek works even better in 2021 because he hadn't mm-hmm. had the mustache for so long. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a good like classic Alex Trebek with that mustache. Like they had never. A, yeah. I never for, got used to seeing him without it. Yeah. For a while they had like some of the original like Jeopardy episodes on Netflix and like, man, that mustache was glorious in the early days. Like, I mean, it still was by the time this episode aired, but it was just like, wow, that was really iconic. Mm-hmm. And the, the closest I ever felt to Jose Chung is when Scully says that she didn't actually experience any of this. She was surprised to wake up and find that Mulder was in her room and his very, oh. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. Jose Chung and I are on the same page in this regard. <laughs> he knows what's up. <laughs> also, like, Mulder has to have, like, a t- titanium spine. He slept in, a, like, a chair, just like a like a big oversized chair. Yeah, was he Wh- still in his what? suit, too? <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, what is going on here? How did you sleep? And then she she's like... She's like, I didn't even let you in, Mulder. And he's like, I didn't. I, you didn't let me in. The men in black did. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets a call and she says, that was Detective Manners. And he said he just found your bleeping UFO. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have them like quickly go to the crash site. And we see uh, Robert Valley, the guy that they found dead and whose body was stolen. And Jack Schaefer, who is now dead. And Mulder's like... I mean, we're just here to see the cover up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Detective Manners is just like, oh, it was actually like all top secret. That's why they were being cagey. And Mulder's like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not why they were being cagey. <laughs> and I, I do love Scully's line of, uh, you know, after she tells him this whole story, she says, you know, I know this probably doesn't have the closure you want, but it has a lot more than we usually have. <laughs> She's right. <laughs> yes, yes. This we had some sort of conclusion. I guess you could still take what you want from it and figure out what the truth is. Mm-hmm. But there is enough evidence to form some idea of what happened. <laughs> but then we have Jose Chung and Mulder finally meet after Mulder lurks outside Jose Chung's office. And there is a story why Jose Chung has a gun just ready and loaded <laughs> on his desk. And I would love to know what it is. <laughs> You know, you miss your, you spend all of your advance one time and then all of a sudden people show up wanting their money. (laughs) But as we get there, uh, it's like Jose Chung also convinces himself that he has seen an alien at his door too, kind of like how Chrissy Mm -hmm. saw one at the foot of her bed at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is such a long, long episode. I know it's like 40 minutes or thereabouts, but for someone with attention deficit disorder, (laughs) it's so long. It's kind of like feature length. Yeah, it's so dense. It's just like... Yeah, it really it's, is. It, it takes so much effort just to follow like the plot, so to speak. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely the kind of episode that like gets better after you watch it because you already know like what's going to happen, so you get to pick yeah. up on all the other bits. Yeah. And it really rewards you for, for watching it. Yeah. Which which like is interesting because like this was like they they did they did publish X Files episodes on VHS like 
not all of them, but like a limited like they would they would make collections of episodes. Like they would have right. all the episodes of like the mythology in like a series. And of course, people recorded them. And so like this is like the the beginning of like rewatch mm-hmm. culture, I guess. <laughs> right. Culture seems like a weird tag to it. But like this is like the beginning of like rewatching TV, right? Right. I mean, if you didn't record it when it was airing, it wasn't you weren't going to be able to rewatch it until like maybe they released it on VHS, like however long mm-hmm. after the episode actually aired. So like even Or just catching to- it in a syndication at some right. point. Yeah, even being able to rewatch it was a lot harder than it is now where we can just watch an episode and then wait, 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 I missed a part. Let me go back. <laughs> exactly. And do yeah. it as many times as we want. And I think that it's it's really interesting to make an episode of TV that like is meant to be rewatched like at this point in time of when it was made because it's like that's not really good practice. Like, <laughs> yes. At the time, like now it's like, okay, yeah, they do that all the time, but uh, he's ahead of the curve. Like now, like you yeah. have to leave those little breadcrumbs for those nerds mm-hmm. so they can post it on Reddit. Um, but like back then it was like, no. <laughs> right. And also even just the idea of like, if I missed any reference in the episode, unless I was like deep into like the forums. Right. I would just miss it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless, or unless you were Darren Morgan himself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, like this is such an incredible episode because it feels like it's it's written for him more than anyone else. <laughs> like he just wanted to do all these little bits for himself. Mm-hmm. If other people like it, that's great, but it's not for you. It's for him. <laughs> yeah, like the fact that it was it it has become one of the most adored episodes of television in history. Like it's just icing on top of the cake for him. Mm-hmm. And so Mulder goes to Jose Chung to tell him uh, not to write the book because. You can't write this to not sound goofy, <laughs> which is kind of funny because it's like we just watched this whole episode. and It's like, yeah, he's kind of right. Like this whole thing does come off as incredibly goofy as someone who just watched like 40 minutes of it. <laughs> and also like the cherry on top is him accusing uh, of this of being like the government trying to cover up this fact when he says that um <laughs> that his his publisher has connections to the military industrial entertainment complex. <laughs> you sound like a you, a Twitter poster, Mulder, and I love you for it. Go on, King. Mulder, you haven't even experienced the MCU yet. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the one furiously posting about how like Captain Marvel was like quite literally Air Force propaganda. Right. I mean. The whole MCU is is sure. military industrial entertainment complex. I mean, yes, but like Brie Larson did like commercials for the Air Force. Oh yeah, and, like, no, yeah. Which like I don't know if the other people have right. Like functionally, it does the same thing, but like I don't know if like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> made a video about how much he loved that the military told him how to do everything. <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, too, because uh, a lot of, specifically from Iron Man, a lot of those props, you know, the, mm-hmm. the weapons had to come from somewhere and who has the biggest stockpile of yep. stuff just sitting around in a warehouse ready to mm-hmm. be used for entertainment like that. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say the U.S. Mil- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But it's also kind of funny because uh, Mulder is accusing him of all this when we've known the answer from the beginning as to why Jose Chung is writing this book. It's all about the money. It's just the money. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and, and Jose Chung's saying, like, this book is getting written. Like, I can't stop what's happening. You know what I mean? Um, And so, like, 
it is kind of him trying to wash his hands of it. Like he's he tells Scully m- money, and like that's true, but he he does seem like the kind of person that says like, well, if I don't write it, someone else will. So mm-hmm. I might as well try to do it well and also make a shit ton of money. Right. And then he says, like, the only thing that will help this book is if you answer one of my questions. And he says, what the hell happened to those kids? And Mulder's just, how the hell should I know? <laughs> Such a nice tagline, honestly, to the episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure after you watch this for the first time, you'll be feeling the exact same way. Yeah, yes. actually. Yes. And we end with the coda explaining what everybody in the story is up to now. Which I think is a really interesting choice. I think, I mean, it's there themat- for thematically because Darren Morgan's very nihilistic of you is is on full display here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Where he has you, you have like these uh, four or five people within the story that experience something very weird and bizarre and life altering. And how did they adjust? Like, how did they confront this? And you know, Rocky went to California and he has like a cult and um. Chrissy got really into the environment and like fixing the world that we have. And Harold Blaine was got just a job. an obsessive freak. <laughs> Blaine got a job. Yeah, I Blaine like got a job. Yeah, not just any job, but fixing power lines. Just exact. He's now exactly where he wanted to be in position to be abducted by aliens where this episode began. Yep. 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 He wants to be the next Rocky. He wants to start a cult. And this coda is also interesting because we get Blaine and Rocky and Chrissy referred to by name. But then when it comes Mm -hmm. to Mulder and Scully, we get these aliases. That are dog shit. Yeah, Yeah, they're really bad. (laughs) And it just kind of also makes me wonder, you know, uh, if Blaine and Rocky and Chrissy, if those were aliases the whole time as well. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that. But yeah, what are... What are Fox and uh, Scully's name? Scully's is Diana Lesky, which isn't too bad, but it's weird. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Mulder's is awful. His is Raynard Muldrake. <laughs> <laughs> Raynard Muldrake. A and ticking how- time bomb of insanity. And he says, like, as he's saying this, like, we're at Mulder, which, like, first of all, he's in a bed. I don't know what bed this is because he doesn't have a bed, as far yeah. as I'm aware, because he literally sleeps on the couch all the time. So I'm like... Where is he? He's not at his apartment. No, he's somewhere, and I don't know where. But he says one shudders to think what what he does to get joy out of his life, or something like that. And okay, so I just thought this was like a you know I didn't really think too much about this. And at one point, I saw someone say Mulder was jacking off in this to the Bigfoot footage, right? And I was like, wait, what? He's shirtless in bed, and Jose Chung. And you is cannot like, see his right hand, right? And Jose Chung is like, I wonder what he does to get pleasure out of life. And then, and then like he has the some noises. <laughs> the he noises, has some noises are noises that are su- suggestive. The noises are pretty uh, subtle, though. Like they're I didn't very subtle. Necessarily pick up on the noises the first time I watched this episode for the podcast, but like when I rewatched it, I was like, okay, so there are some like weird noises going on. Yes, that's called getting past the censors. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, it but almost I, makes me think like the thing with uh, Schaefer's butt earlier in the episode is just kind of like a sleight of hand to get that through. Right. Yes, yes. Because like it's it's never like I've never seen like, you know, Darren or or anybody with the show. I've never really said them like 
seeing them say like, oh, Mulder is jacking off in the scene, but I am a truther. I'm a Mulder was jacking off the <laughs> footage truther because he has like this weird, like he lets out his breath, like, <sighs> and then just like these <laughs> tiny noises. And I'm just like, he's, he's jacking off. <laughs> Ew. And it's also the kind of detail where it's like, was this in the script? Did Bowman put him up to it? Or was this right. just what David Duchovny wanted to do in this scene? <laughs> If it wasn't so weird, I would just like I would love to ask one of them. I know, <laughs> but like you can't just be like, "Hey, like was Mulder jacking on the scene?" You can't just like go up to the microphone at a Comic Con panel and ask them <laughs> if Mulder was jacking off in the scene. As we far as I'm try. concerned, this is what the Reddit AMA was designed for. <laughs> God, you're right. They need to do another one, and uh, I could ask. Yeah, just so you can ask that question. So if, if they do one and you see me in the comments asking, you better upvote that shit. <laughs> we mm-hmm. need the answer. Well, the truth is out there. The truth is, <laughs> the out, truth there. is out there. <laughs> and we have uh, Jose Chung end for although we may not be alone in the universe in our own separate ways on this planet, we are all alone. And we have the theme with the little bittersweet ending to it. He like switched some of the notes to be mm-hmm. a little more sad and this is really it's a really great ending i really love the ending as sad as shit as it is <laughs> yeah i love sad shit <laughs> yeah it does take the sting out of it a little bit with that musical you know yeah cadence there i don't know mm-hmm. so it's not it's not all bad news you know yeah and it's kind of like i don't know you can view it as irony too because he says that we are all truly alone but we've just seen you know a bunch of people interacting with a lot of other people with the exception Mm -hmm. maybe being Mulder like maybe he interacted with Schaefer or maybe not maybe he just went to Jose Chung because he's a weirdo and hasn't had anybody to talk to this whole damn episode (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that's the episode and now we have our segments and we start as always with Agent Mulder shut up Mulder damn it Mulder Mulder how annoying was Mulder's episode? <laughs> and as always, I will start. And I give him a two. I think he's very fun. He's very funny. And he, I mean, he he's not on screen enough mm-hmm. and in his own perspective enough because, like, I'm sure he was more annoying that Scully, like, softened it. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it was a two. I don't think he was very annoying. And he was very funny to me. Mm-hmm. Laura. Yeah, so as we know, my lowest rating can be a five. Um, And he gets a five because I agree with you. He's not... <laughs> in it enough to be annoying mm-hmm. and they make fun of him enough in it too that it's just it's just kind of funny like the scream and the fact that like really we only get like a little bit like from his perspective at the end like it makes it good like i i highly this is my favorite this is my favorite episode of the x-files and part of that is because it is mostly from like i mean all these shifting perspectives but scully's perspective for like out of the two of them for this episode mm-hmm. so yeah he's he's really pretty low-key but i do think that is because scully is definitely softening some of that <laughs> yeah uh nick what about you well y'all um i agree and i disagree um i'm kind of <laughs> shocked honestly I'm, I'm really shocked that we came to such different conclusions um you know i agree that he is not in this episode for a whole lot of it so we kind of have to evaluate based on what we've seen right so i gave him nine out of ten for not tipping the diner owner. And I would maybe deduct Bless one you, point for objectivity. Having like <laughs> worked in food service, it's just the worst. You know, to deal with someone all night long and they give you a big project and then mm. no tip. Um, so I would say like 
conservatively eight out of 10. Um, <laughs> and again, you know, it could go up or down based on, mm-hmm. you know, how objective you want to be with who's telling the truth at any point. That's, I mean, I Bless disagree you. with your rating, one. but I, I love, I love the honesty. That's what we're here for. We're here to get the truth. <laughs> we're we're all here to get our own personal truth. So like how annoying Walter was to us. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't expect to be that harsh, but you know, I just kept coming back to it and I was just like, yeah, you know, Walter Mulder does not seem to be a fan of the working man in this episode. Though. He is not. What a jackass. And maybe we can use yeah. this as grounding for like, maybe that really did happen, you know? Yeah. It it certainly adds mm-hmm. up with our uh, perspective of him from mm-hmm. elsewhere in the series. That's true. Mm-hmm. Totally. Next we have. So uh, this must be the enigmatic Agent Scully. Scully's sassiest moment. Laura. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, She was very sassy in this episode, but it wasn't necessarily her words, but her body language. So I'm giving it to her right eyebrow specifically. It really pulled a lot of weight in this episode. I'm not going to lie. Like it just, it was great. It was very skeptical. It it was really a big throwback to um, Bones in the classic Star Trek, who is also a medical doctor and also very sassy and skeptical um, and also kind of has this like permanently like raised skeptical eyebrow. Um, yeah, it was just great. Just A plus for Jillian Anderson's right eyebrow. This episode is incredible. Yeah, her body language was great. Um, it really displayed a lot of her frustration that she, I think, held back in her words, but we got to see it in all of the replays. <laughs> yes, that's Nick. incredible. Uh, I just want to say before I go into this, I'm glad that you pointed that out, Laura. Um, and also DeForest Kelly, who played Bone in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, and I share a yeah. birthday. Oh, oh, how fun. Um, so I have, I'm going to go with the easy one here. I'm going to say that Scully was at her sassiest when she grabbed Blaine by the collar. <laughs> that uh, he was a dead man. Like, I just don't think it gets much sassier than that. Like, sure, you have like her. There are the finer points, you know, like Laura is saying, where that right eyebrow is really doing like cumulative total a lot for her this episode. But, uh, you know, big swings with, you know, like, I don't think that Scully has ever been that sassy, at least not up until... Uh, this episode (laughs) maybe yeah not quite so direct yeah exactly yeah mine is he's not inclined to dismiss anything outright (laughs) and then like her calling him nuts (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's a really good one too and just like that way where like you know your friend is like peddling some bullshit but like you gotta be a good friend and you gotta just be like well yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then lastly welcome you've got mail our 90s moment of the episode nick um, okay, so again, I think I would go with the most obvious one for me. And it's just the cover of the book. You know, they just don't <laughs> design books the way that they design Jose Chung's from Outer Space anymore. Just that really simple font, um, one visual at most of this alien smoking a cigarette. It's simple, it's effective, and we right. kind of left that behind, you know, maybe 20 years ago. That really has mm-hmm. to grab you, you know, off the shelf. You really have to be drawn exactly. to that alien smoking a cigarette for you to pick up Totally. And, like, so many books... I'm going to go off on a screen here if I go too long, but it's just, like, so many books share the same sort of, like, sense of design now mm-hmm. that you really don't get books that stand out anymore. It's, right. like, mm-hmm. they all have, like, this sort of, like, flower or paisley sort of thing and, like, a light... Mm-hmm tan or orange you know and that's every book that's every book yeah 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 totally jose chung just wouldn't make it in today's world god rest his soul (laughs) absolutely he is like sort of a 90s relic too uh laura what's yours 
Yeah, so I think um, this episode is very, very 90s in a lot of different ways. So there's like a lot of answers to this question and like you really can't go wrong with one of them. And I went back and forth between two of them for a while, but I'm going to pick Blaine as a character because like he's just such a perfect encapsulation of like this like Gen X nerd like malaise. I don't know, like 90s malaise. Like it's so hard to describe as a thing but yeah mm-hmm. i just i think he's such a great character and such a good encapsulation of like that gen- that type of person in his generation because like that's type of like nerd that he is like for like us being millennials and like for like gen zers like after us is like so different than from mm-hmm. each other so i think he's just yeah he that's that's my answer playing now great. would have the worst politics imaginable oh my God, he would be on 4chan 24 7 Right. Like he would he would be an atrocious human. Right. He, yeah. Now in this episode, he's just he's fun. He's just a right. fun oddball. He's, he's he's harmless, right? In yeah. in this sort of context. And like that's that's great. That's good. He wouldn't he wouldn't be harmless today. No. Yeah. He's definitely the type that talks about how the government has way too much of our information and just like should be taken down a notch, but has his home right. address posted on his public Facebook profile. Yeah, he'd probably be a libertarian <laughs> today at least, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Maybe we would have lucked out and he would have been like one of those millennials that's like really into microdosing or something, you know, and just like just <laughs> has like weird opinions, but it's like kind of harmless. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, you're right, Laura. Like, um, I think a lot of the people that I was talking about in my intro that worked with my dad, like, I think mm-hmm. that they were kind of like the perfect portrait of Blaine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like real people, you know, like less mm-hmm. of a caricature. But I think that they had a lot of the same interests for a lot of the same reasons that Blaine did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Well, also, like, we, we've, I feel like we've eliminated so many jobs where these people could just, like, be weird and just, like, slacker off, you know? Like, I think, like, we've consolidated everything so bad where they can't just, like, have some job where they goof off and they come home and they smoke, like, several bowls of weed and just do nothing. It's <laughs> <laughs> just talking about aliens. <laughs> what a nice life. <laughs> so, mine is the diner, the neon diner that says Ovaltine. I love it a lot. It's, I also love that it still exists. It's I had this whole thing about how like diners don't exist anymore. Like they they do exist, but they also don't. You know, they're so hard to find. They're hard to find where we live. Honestly, absolutely. Yeah, like the only place you can get food twenty four seven in like Texas is Whataburger, <laughs> and that's not a diner. Which, that's no. not a diner. That's a fast food restaurant. <laughs> I mean, you can it's go like, to. Wa- I love that it exists, but. You can go to Waffle House, but it's not even then it's like harder to find Waffle Houses these days. There's yeah, like only and, two in our area and there's like none in the panhandle where Nick is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like oh, I think we used to have a Waffle House actually, but I believe it burned down. I could be yeah, wrong about that. I don't uh, I don't think there's one now, yeah. There definitely isn't, but it's like um you go a little bit further north from where I am. But even like this idea of like twenty four diners. 24-hour diners has kind mm-hmm. of ceased to exist over the last two years because everything has to like close at 11. That way we can maximize our profits. We don't lose yeah. any money. Yeah. That was my backup was the all-night diner. Yeah. <laughs> my backup was Alex Trebek. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's stinks. good, too. Yeah, that was the episode. That was our segments. And I think we covered a lot of why it's important and why I chose it. But I would like to say I have this little blurb written by one of the, the co-producer, Paul Rabwin. And he he proclaimed about Jose Chung's, he says, an instant classic, one of those seminal episodes, you know, when people talk about the Twilight Zone, they say, remember Eye of the Beholder or Trouble with 
triples on the original Star Trek, Jose Chung is going to be one of those episodes that is immediately revered. And like it is like it is legendary. It's a great episode and it's really iconic. And whenever I talk to people, I'll like, you know, mention that I like the X-Files and like someone who's seen the show but isn't as into it as I am, like will mention they'll, they'll always mention like a, a handful of episodes. They're like, oh, remember that episode? And Jose Chung is definitely one of those, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually the first episode you showed me, Shelby. That makes sense. I really like it. I think it's great. And it's not it's, like it's not a typical episode of the X-Files, but I think it really it just gets why it's good. You know, like yeah. it's you watch this episode and you're like, holy shit, this is a good show. Yeah, definitely. I think when they were looking at bringing it back a couple of years ago, you know, I don't think that anybody is pointing at the mythology, even though that's ultimately what they (laughs) focus on for most of the series. I think they have to point to things like The X-Files is great because of episodes like Jose Mm -hmm. Chung or Clyde Ruck or things that really stand on their own, but also have Mm -hmm. a backbone that you can fall back on if this is your thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I think like this is also an episode that I don't think would get made now because uh the seasons don't run that long and so you don't experiment and and that's such a bummer because like these are some of my favorite episodes when a tv show just gets to get weird they just have the space to have these characters that we know and are familiar with in a completely weird setting (laughs) and 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 just like really push the boundary of like what television is in in a very like fourth wall breaky way but just like in a very innovative way too yeah, totally. I think when a TV show experiments, like we think about prestige shows experimenting, um, it's usually pretty polarizing. I don't think that Chung's as polarizing as like an episode like Fly would be from Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Or um, I'm blanking on the name of the episode, but if you've seen Barry on HBO um, season two, episode seven, I want to say, where there's mm. just absolutely no structure and things happen that are related to plot but they're most they mostly happen just because bill Hader wanted to go ape shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i yeah i absolutely love that and it it really is a dying breed and also like yeah polarizing i i conceptually i i know people don't like fly but that's also baffling to me because i love fly that's such a good episode (laughs) yeah and i mean that comes back to like the two types of people that watch breaking bad they're the people that appreciate the character and the nuance and they ultimately realize that walt is not someone to identify with right mm-hmm. um and then you have the people who watch it who are just like yeah this is a badass action show um lots of cool yeah. explosions that guy died in a really cool way and uh drugs are bad you guys <laughs> wait Nick, are you telling me words. walt isn't a good hero i know He's not you the know hero you, of the story it's kind of hard to believe but like if you read between the lines just like a little bit you can kind of <laughs> see it like from here you and there know. You might even call him an anti-hero. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's totally, yeah. Did you just come up with huh. that just now, Shelby? Wow. Yeah, just off the, off my dome. Your mind, Shelby, your mind. <laughs> I will say, I, I didn't finish the show, but there is like one very like experimental episode of The Sopranos, which I respected, but also was not for me. And it was like <laughs> a very dream heavy sequence. I think it actually has a lot of dream sequences, but like this one, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, I know. I think <laughs> I know the one that you're talking about. The, I think it was the Polly one with the fish and everything in the boat. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 It's very weird. But, but of course, like, even when I don't like the experimental stuff, I always like like that they did it i like the swing i really respect the swing Mm -hmm. and i i might be uh, more in the minority but 
yeah, like, I mean, this is why I watch TV. I don't, if I want to watch a movie, I won't, if I want to watch plot, I'll watch a movie. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here to watch the characters. That's what the whole point of TV is. Yeah, totally. I think, like, when you make an experimental film, like, the whole runtime has to be experimental, or at least there's this pressure to make it that way. Where if you have a show, you know, you can just reserve one or two episodes of a season, and you can just swing big there. It is kind of a difficult balance strike when you're making a feature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that was the episode, and I hope everyone enjoyed it. I hope everyone watched it. If you didn't watch it, you should watch it because yeah. it's very good. <laughs> this, this podcast will especially be hard to follow if you don't watch it. Yeah, so I was like, I can't explain everything. Yeah. It would take like th- three hours to talk about this. We got to kind of zoop. Yeah, but by but... nature of it appearing here, right? It's an essential episode and everybody should watch it. Exactly. All, all of my episodes are good recommendations, except when I get self-indulgent for like one and I'm like, I just want to watch this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say thank you to Nick for coming on. I had a blast, and I hope you had yeah. a blast too. Yeah, it is such an honor to be on with y'all, um, but especially for this episode. It, when I first saw it as the lit English major that I am, um, <laughs> you know, I just I just went nuts. And so to fact to get to talk about Truman Capote and Charles Nelson Reilly and all this other stuff, you know, it's just a blast, y'all. Um, thank you yeah, so much yeah. for having me on. Yeah, yeah, totally. And. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, we are Condensed Truth on Twitter. If you'd like to email us, we are CondensedTruthPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to rate and review us, you should do that. If you have any um, questions for our potential mailbag episode, please email us. Um, I, I've i been percolating on the, the mailbag episode for the because we're repro- approaching the end of season three. We're actually like covering a lot of the end uh, episodes because they're very good this is a very solid ending to a show like to a season really because you have like pusher well also i always think of these the four sequences of episodes of being we had pusher and then we had there's we didn't cover the two in the middle but there's uh hell money which is another thing the x-files does a lot where they have they try to tackle like a story about a, a group like an ethnic group that none of the writers are and i wouldn't say that it's like inappropriate it's just like you can tell nobody there knows that much about like chinese or like they're trying to explain to the anyways it's a it's kind of boring and not good but also i don't think it's like that offensive right some of them are more offensive but (laughs) but so like but that's definitely something the x-files does and then we had um tesos de bichos quite possibly the worst episode of the x-files and then and then uh jose chung's i okay so it's, sometimes it's hard to categorize like what a bad episode of the X-Files is because they're like there's so many different ways they can be bad right but I know that like the cast and the crew hated that episode and they rewrote it so much to try to make it workable and it just wasn't happening and they just had to make an episode and so they all just resigned themselves to making this very bad episode they knew was bad but they had to put it out <laughs> Here's my conspiracy while I'm still on here. Uh, do you think that they made this episode just to immediately follow it up with Jose Chung's just so it looked that much better? <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> like false inflation? Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's a great theory. Um, yes, but I think they just assumed uh, Darren would be good and they're like, okay, we're, we need a Darren episode after this train wreck. But next time we will be talking season three, episode 22. Quagmire, um, one of my favorite episodes. Well, one of definitely top ten, I think. I don't know. And we have one. We have a guest 
I'll have Abrianna on. Yay. Yay. So that'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Oh, we we took th- we took Thanksgiving off, and we might we might have to skip some weeks for because it's the holidays, and I did not plan. I probably should have planned ahead of like, hey, it's the holidays, we're gonna be busy. We should probably, you know, <laughs> take off. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's whatever. They'll come out when if you if you're ever worried about the episode not being out, you can check the Twitter. I I you know update us. I mean, you don't have to follow the Twitter if you don't have a Twitter account, but if you're just like, hey, where's the episode? You can just check the Twitter. Anyway, I'm rambling because it's been a while and I forgot how this works, <laughs> but I think I've talked about everything we need to talk about. That's it. That's the ending. <laughs> so they, everyone have a nice week. Bye. <laughs> and thank you to Nick for coming on. Thank you all. <laughs>